Hi, I'm Dee Reddy, and welcome to Scale by Intercom. As you've no doubt heard, Scale is now a dedicated space on the Inside Intercom blog, where you can find a wealth of materials, including podcasts, of course, that explore how businesses are driving growth through customer relationships. As part of this, we're now releasing a new Scale episode for you every second week, so you can continue to hear from a slate of brilliant leaders and thinkers about the strategies and frameworks that they've used to chart new paths for their customers and their companies. We're releasing this episode a little early this week to coincide with Inbound 2020 and because we're delighted to have HubSpot CEO and co-founder Brian Halligan as our guest today. He chats with Intercom Senior Vice President of Marketing, Shane Murphy-Reuter. Ryan and Shane chat about the evolution of inbound marketing, the importance today of conversational experiences, and they explore how conversational relationships can drive business growth. It's a fascinating conversation, so let's head over to studio and hear from Brian and Shane. Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, we're delighted to feature you as part of this new ongoing series of Scale by Intercom. Uh, you've had a m- remarkable career to date, culminating with your role as CEO and co-founder of HubSpot, authoring inbound marketing, and even finding time to lecture at MIT nonetheless. Why don't you kick us off there by telling us a little bit about that journey? It's been a good journey so far. I've kind of had three chapters in it. My first chapter was I worked for a software company called Parametric Technology, PTC. We sold enterprise CAD software, and I did that for quite a while. And I was in the sales and marketing org, and really most of it in the sales org. And I I learned a lot about building sales organizations, about how to sell, how to hire, how how to really scale a modern sales organization at that company. Then I went to work for a company called Groove Networks, which is a little bit like Slack plus Dropbox, but a little too early. It was it was a really interesting technology that wasn't totally baked this little before its time. But there, I learned a lot about thinking about how to build products and how to think about the changing nature of human behavior and how to build applications to, to take advantage of that. And then I went back to business school and studied a bunch and learned a lot about strategy and finance and things like that. And so I'm kind of a combination of sort of this hardcore sales machine PTC this sort of product innovation machine at Groove. The founder of Groove was the father of Lotus Notes. He's a real good product person. And then learning some of the nuts and bolts of finance and accounting at MIT. And and I'm kind of a blend of those influences. And I think for better or worse, HubSpot is in all companies a reflection of their founders. So I think those three things really bleed through HubSpot. That's interesting. And it comes on to some of the things that I definitely want to talk to you a little bit about later. But hearing you talk about your experience, as I think about HubSpot, I very much think about you creating two things. You know, one is obviously the, the software of HubSpot and the, you know, the company. But the second is this uh, concept of inbound marketing. And as we go through, love to hear more about how you think that sort of you know, genesis of your career led to you founding uh, some of the, these things, which it kind of brings me on to my second uh, question I'd love to hear about, which is it has been well, 14 years, I think, since you and Darmesh Shah founded HubSpot. And a ton has happened, obviously, in that intervening period. Mm-hmm. I, I would imagine that most people listening today know generally what HubSpot are and what you do, particularly given our audience. But we'd love to hear a little bit more about and what was that thing that you saw in the market that made you think, yeah, there's a great opportunity here that led to then HubSpot? That, that's a great question. 
the founding of HubSpot, there were basically two light bulb aha moments that led to HubSpot. I had one in Darmesh, my still co-founder and partner had the other. Mine was I was spending time, Shane, at a venture capital firm in, in business school, helping them think about growth. How do we grow our little startups into big companies? And they all kind of had the same playbook. They were going to buy a list and they were going to cold call. They were going to buy a list and they were going to email people. They were going to hire the big PR firm and do the big trade show. And they all had kind of the same playbook and they all kind of ran the same plays. And my aha was that, holy crap, those plays just don't seem to work anymore. And at the time, there were some new technologies out there, very old technologies. Now there's a new technology called caller ID. There's a new technology called spam protection software. There was some new national do not call list software that was coming up. There was ad blocker software. There was DVRs. Like my aha was it was impossible to market to a modern human. They were getting good at blocking it out. That was kind of my aha, sort of a negative one. On the flip side, Darmesh, he blogged his way through business school. So he'd write a blog article or two a week. And anytime he hit an interesting lecture and he put it on this thing called on startups.com. And I was comparing using Alexa, the old school Alexa, you know, his traffic versus my wealthy venture backed startups with their playbooks. And sure enough, he had thousands of times more interest in his crappy little blog than any of my wealthy venture backed startups. And I grew interested in that. And he was clever at marketing through the blogosphere, through search engines and through social media. And he was kind of the matching the way he marketed with the way humans actually lived and shopped and bought. And so that kind of led first to this idea that there's an old school way of marketing that we called outbound and a new school way that we called inbound, where you match your go to market with the way people buy. And that wasn't what led to HubSpot. That's what led to this idea of inbound. Then we tried to implement it and holy crap, was it hard? You had to put in a website and a blog and a CRM, and you had to put in social media tools and SEO tools and analytics tools. And before you knew it, you had 20 different applications that didn't talk to each other. So then we built HubSpot. We built the marketing platform to help people grow. That's sort of how it all kind of came together in that first six months year. I absolutely love that. And uh, as I mentioned, as a marketer, I can hear so much of my own sort of career journey and struggling with a lot of the, um, uh, you know, changing the tactics within marketing, how to keep up in in that story. Really, also love to hear about how you know you were experiencing the problem. I think that's such a common thing that leads to these great companies that you you personally really felt that problem. Yeah. Yeah. And so you kind of, you know you kind of mentioned that actually the the concept of inbound marketing came first. You then founded HubSpot. And then at a certain point, you obviously recognize that this concept of inbound marketing was a great you know, kind of movement that you could leverage. Um, and so, you know, in, in that time, uh, you coined it. And, you know, what has changed since then, uh, you know, 14 years ago, when, when you really had this aha moment? What, what's the big things that have changed in your mind? Yeah, a metric ton of stuff has changed since then. The way I like to think about it back then was like, the only way you could really market is if, if somebody had a newspaper, you could rent an ad on that newspaper. Or the only way you could market on video was to rent some space in someone's TV show. Or the only one way you could do it is if you rent some space in someone's radio show. If you wanted to create your own newspaper, your own TV show, your own newspaper, boy, that, that was expensive <laughs> to do that kind of thing. 
And the thing that was shifting under our feet at the time was just the cost to create your own newspaper, a blog, and talk dramatically, your own TV show, YouTube channel, your own radio show, a podcast that dropped dramatically. And we basically taught people how to create content and use that content to pull people in and generate leads in a new way. It still works incredibly well. Like HubSpot gets you know, almost 10 million visitors a month from Google organic search through those methods. The thing that I think shifted since then quite a bit, well, the thing that I, the thing that's going on is like I, I took this class when I was in business school and I had a professor that taught class on entrepreneurship. And he used to say all the time, Shane, you know, if you want to build a big company, you got to build a product that's 10 times better than the competition. It's got to be 10 times better. And of course, yes, you have to build a better product. But I think today you need to be a build a customer experience that's 10 times better than the competition. And I just think of it myself. Like, Shane, I woke up this morning at 7.30. I put on my Warby Parker glasses. I picked up my phone. I put on the Grateful Dead on Spotify. I ran downstairs. I fed my dog, Romeo, with some food I got from Chewy. Then I rode on my Peloton. I got a workout. And I shaved with my shaver from the Dollar Shave Club. And then I've been on Zoom and Slack all day. And what I think is interesting about all those products, they're all relatively new companies. And I've swapped out incumbents for these new products. And all of them have better products, of course. But they all have much, much, much better end-to-end experiences relative to their the incumbents that they disrupted. They're all easy. They're all light. They all match the go-to-market experience with the way people actually want to shop and buy. And so I think Arbitrage Opportunity 1 that opened up the internet for marketers was creating content and pulling leads in. Arbitrage Opportunity number 2 came on a little later is I think people buy from companies who create incredible end-to-end experiences, not just incredible products. In fact, I would tell you, I would, I would posit to you, Shane, that building a better product today, the barriers to entry on any product today have dramatically dropped. Like building a new, building a competitor, let's say an intercom today, is easier than ever because you've got AWS, you've got all this open source software, you can rent everything, you don't have to buy anything. You don't need that much money in the and t- the barriers to entry on the product side tend to be short-lived. It's that end-to-end experience and the brand and all that stuff around it that's turning out to be kind of the core competitive advantage for so many companies today. And I think, by the way, I think you guys are very, very good at this. Uh, I appreciate the uh, the shout out there. Um, there's actually something that came to mind as you, as you were speaking there that I wonder is also happening here. You, you know, you spoke about how traditionally in marketing, the marketer had to go through a number of layers of sort of intermediaries in order to actually execute marketing, right? You had to call the TV ad salesperson or, you know, whatever. Um, And what HubSpot and the tools like HubSpot did was actually give the marketer direct control, which is very similar to, I think, what you were talking about there around the likes of Chewy. In the past, I had to go to a big store, buy the products that they chose for me, Whereas now I, I'm empowered as a consumer to go direct to those brands. And there, there's something there. I, I wonder if there's a, a macro thing there happening that, you know, as businesses we can we can leverage, which is that people want that control. People want to actually feel uh, empowered to have their sort of hands-on experience and choice and all of that. I, I couldn't agree more. The directors to consumer brands I mentioned, like the Spotify's, the Chewy's, the Pelotons, and 
Dollars Shave Club. What's interesting about them is everyone thought, oh, Amazon, you just got to go through Amazon. You just can't build a business without it. But Warby Parker, Away, Suitcases, like so many of these big companies that have emerged over the last few years, have done a direct-to-consumer around Amazon. And so it's just one of the things I was, I was on another podcast actually earlier today. It used to be capitalism people, you'd say, yeah, it, 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 it's the invisible hand behind the economy. It's not the invisible hand. It's the iron fist these days. If there's an arbitrage opportunity out there, companies and forward-thinking entrepreneurs will take advantage of them. And I think the arbitrage opportunity these days is you can actually build a direct-to-consumer business, a direct B2B business. You don't have to go through middlemen. The internet itself, the story, the business story of the internet is about making things more convenient, about cutting out the middlemen and building big businesses directly, I think. Yeah, that's that that's fascinating. Um and bringing it kind of closer to, you know, the, the products like Intercom and HubSpot, one of those areas of evolution has been the way that people communicate. If we think back, you know, email was actually invented back in 1971, and you know, I'd argue that there's been relatively little innovation since then. You know, there are companies obviously like Superhuman who are trying to innovate around email, but the core product itself hasn't changed that much. Having said that, in our daily lives, the way that people communicate has changed quite a lot. Can you talk a little bit about how HubSpot as a company has evolved to meet that change in ways the customers are, are communicating specifically? Yeah. One of the things that we root, always rooted HubSpot in, and this is some people think is really smart and some people think is really dumb, is particularly in the early days of HubSpot, we would talk to marketers and marketers would want to more efficiently spam their customers and more efficiently cold call their customers and more efficiently try to interrupt them at a trade show. And what we were saying is, no, there's a revolution that needs to happen. Your buyers are changing. They're using Google now. You need to get found in Google. They live in social media now. They're ignoring all this stuff. You need to transform. And we pushed our customers to transform to match the way their customers were changing. And we've always kind of rooted HubSpot in that. And as we've evolved over time, we've evolved quite a bit. We try to root ourselves in that. And I think Intercom's done a nice job of that too. I think one of the things you guys recognized early, and we're, we're kind of a fast follower of yours in this world, humans have really changed the way they can want to communicate. People don't want to email anymore. People live in Slack. They live in SMS. They live in Messenger. People just, you know, email is... It's on a very slow death march, very slow. It's still a very useful tool and people use it. But the, the modern worker doesn't enjoy that medium and doesn't want to communicate that way. And I think one of the things Intercom did and now HubSpot's doing a little bit as well is harnessing that. The thing about email is it's asynchronous. And I think that the story of customer experience these days is synchronous. Everyone wants real-time, self-serve, 24-7. And I think companies that are stuck sort of in 2010 mindset where humans are involved in every transaction, where it's email-based, where it's nine to five, where it's not self-serve, moving to this modern experience where people have been spoiled by consumer brands in the B2B side, I think people are going to want to do chat. And by the way, it's not that they just want to do chat. Like we have chat enabled in our app, chat enabled in our, in our website. It is definitely the way people want to communicate. They're at the very at this very moment. I'm sure there are a thousand chats going on on our website and on our app, and it is just the way it happens today. 
I think that's that's exactly right. Well, obviously, Intercom, you know, we, we, we believe this it's all the way down into our product. And we kind of call this conversational experiences. Yep. There are the term conversational marketing, obviously, has become synonymous with using a messenger to talk to the leads on your website. But like to your point, you know, our, our belief certainly is that these experiences will go far beyond just talking to leads on your website, whether it's be supporting existing customers or even engaging existing customers that you're trying to help onboard and showing them around your product and that sort of thing. And I think one of the big things that we're seeing is that it's certainly the asynchronous versus synchronous piece, but there's also the in context, you know, email is not in your app, right? Whereas a messenger is sitting in the app and has that context and it's obviously, yes, real, real time as well. But because it's in the app, you, I kind of, it, it's really powerful. I, I often use the story of email. It's kind of like you go into a store and you ask the sales representative, you know, do you have this in a size medium? And they said, yeah, I've sent a letter to your home. Check it out. You know, come back. <laughs> um, rather than actually a messenger being able to like there and then answer the problem, you know. So I think the expansion of this beyond conversational marketing is really interesting to us. Could not agree more. I think that end-to-end experience needs to be super modern, super streamlined. And I think if people come to your website or using your products or want to support with you and you don't have chat, you're at a disadvantage today. Is that just the way people want to talk? Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that... All businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise. Old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right, and see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Bringing on to sort of 2020 and the crazy world that we're, we're living in today. At Inbound 19, you mentioned, um, you talked a little bit about this idea of the species of disruptor and argued that big market disruptors of the past leveraged technology to rewrite the rules of business. How do you think 2020 and the the COVID environment that we're sitting in is either solidifying this or or accelerating those types of uh, disruptions? I think it's just pulled the future in for businesses like HubSpot and Intercom. Most companies knew they needed to transform and move to from outside sales to inside sales, from offline marketing to online marketing, from outbound marketing to inbound marketing, like 
companies knew they had to do it, but they were procrastinating. People are just moving that up and moving faster today. And I think there's been so much bad about all that's happened in 2020, but I think this is a good thing for businesses to really modernize this motion and really match the way they go to market with the way people buy. And so I think it's just pulled it up. I kind of have this thing in my head. It's like I'm trying to to kind of move down the food chain on my diet. So I, I used to have a pretty animal-based diet with, you know, heavy animal-based diet. And then on the end, other end of the sort of the spectrum is you got people who are totally vegetarian. But in between, you got people who eat a fair amount of animal-based products with some vegetables on the side and slide further down. People eat mostly vegetables and grains and seeds and things like that. With just a tiny bit of animal product, I'm trying to slide my way down that. I kind of think businesses are the same way. There's businesses on one end of the spectrum, all human to human contact. You got to talk to a human in that company to do anything. And you got to talk to them on the phone to companies that are completely computer driven that you can't talk to a human or argue, argue try. In between, you've got companies who are largely human based with computers helping them. Down the spectrum a little bit further, you have companies that that experience is largely computer-based with some humans helping that. I think people are kind of sliding down the, the the sort of food chain during this pandemic. And I, I think 2020 on the go-to-market side will look much more like 2022. I think 20, 2022 will look a lot more like 2020 than it did like 2019 from a go-to-market perspective. Interesting. Fascinating to hear, hear your, your movement along that uh, food chain. I think I've moved mostly into a cake and a cocktail part of the food chain since COVID. So nice. yeah. <laughs> I like I it. a lot of people have, yeah. Uh, one of the things I definitely wanted to chat to you about is the actual creation of the category of, of inbound marketing. We touched on it a little bit before when you were talking about how you were uh, essentially educating your customers about a new way of, of working. And, you know, there's this constant tension, certainly, that we're flexing between at Intercom around the degree to which we should communicate our vision of where the world was going while also meeting our customers where they are today. But this idea of building that category is critically important if we want to get to where we're going. And we've recently done a lot of work around naming it, this kind of conversational relationship platform category, which essentially is, you know, taking the likes of conversational marketing and expanding it across the customer experience. And so, you know, uh, as a marketer, I'm, I'm really just keen to understand how did you go off and create this incredible category that trips off the tongue of, of people like me? That's good to hear that that does trip off the tongue. I'll give you a few thoughts on it. From one of the early, early arguments we had at HubSpot was we came up with this inbound marketing term and then we hired a marketer and that marketer was saying, you know what? It's going to be really hard to create an inbound marketing category. No one knows what the heck you're talking about. Let's just call HubSpot internet marketing because it's internet marketing. And so we debated on that for a long, long time. We decided to go with inbound marketing. A couple things about creating the category. It ended up working, but it's not for the faint of heart. Some things that worked to our advantage was there was a us versus them. We use inbound versus outbound. And everyone knows that the internet likes sort of a battle. And we tried to create a battle between, good, you know, kind of good and evil. And no one really liked outbound spam, cold call, stuff like that. 
then we poured energy into it. So we have an inbound conference that you guys obviously uh, are launching your podcast around uh, at the same time here. We wrote a book, which by the way, is a huge amount of work. We wrote a, a billion blog articles about it. And so we really put our backs into it. And then we created a community around it who kind of supported it. So there was a it was a large, large concerted effort that went into creating it, and we're still working on it. Now, here's what I would say that we did. We did very well in creating that. As HubSpot's evolved from a company that helps you generate leads to a company that helps you create a gorgeous end-to-end experience, we tried to repurpose the, the inbound marketing and create a category called inbound sales, inbound service totally failed. It just did not stick. And we poured a bunch of energy into it. It just didn't pour it over like we thought. And I still go to Google. You probably do the same thing. I go to Google Trends all the time. And I look at I look at inbound marketing and inbound sales and inbound sales just didn't go. And we stopped pouring money into it. It's very, 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 very hard to create one of these memes or one of these categories. And it takes a lot of work. And it takes a village. It, it can't just be you shouting from the, the, the treetops about customer relationship platform. You've got to have everybody and their brother, all your partners, everyone talking about it in order for it to catch fire. It's fascinating. Like hearing you, hearing you talk there, it's like you were having some of the debates 10 years ago that we're continuing to have today. You know, like a good example of that would be as we were naming our overarching category conversation relationship platform, we were then talking about what should be named the solutions underneath it. And conversational marketing right now is the industry term for how you generate leads on your website using a messenger. And in reality, that's not really marketing. It's actually sales, right? You've got people talking and I'm like, well, if we want this to really actually make sense, we should call it conversational sales. But, and then the counter argument is like, well, there's already sort of momentum behind conversational marketing. And so are we going to go and try and, you know, re-educate the market on what that is, or should we just lean into it? And we ended up making the decision, uh, and I'd be interested to hear your, your opinion on this decision, but for that solution to lean into the existing momentum and uh, call our solution conversational marketing to align with the the industry. Okay, so before the call, I did some Google trend searching. Conversational, you don't have any momentum yet. You're just starting it. Conversational marketing is a lot more momentum. But conversational marketing is kind of flattened out. It's not moving up and to the right. And it's not that big, like even compared to like inbound marketing or content marketing, it's a lot lower, it's a lot less searches on it. So it's definitely a meme, but within, you know, in marketing circles, it's well known and it's talked a lot about. I think there's, my takeaway is you've got a ton of work to do, but there's room for something else in there. And my advice would be to, I mean, you're just going to, you're in for the long haul and you got to take half your marketing budget. And by budget, I mean your people and your energy and put it into your meme as opposed to your product. So it's, it's get ready for a big investment. Yeah, fully, fully agree there. We, we, we've been, uh, we've, to be fair, it's only, I think three months ago that we, we really landed on the naming and everything. And, and so we are very much moving, trying to move sort of up our, you know, our messaging hierarchy to try and start building this as opposed to being down in the kind of product messaging. And, been and have you been thinking about, could we have a three-letter acronym, CRP? You know, I'm sure you're talking about that. Like getting it, getting a three-letter acronym can be huge. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, in a perfect world, uh, once people understand what it is, we can we can shorten it up. But uh, as you say, there's like there is just so much work that we we need to do. And uh, hearing you you tell the story of how you've done in band marketing was was fantastic. Now, if I were you, I would be tempted to do the. You can say the enemy is email marketing. I mean, email marketing is still very much alive and well. It still works when done properly and you segment properly, and you write good email copy, but. It's very, very, very helpful to have an us versus a them. I noticed um, we haven't done that. Yeah, it's, so, so that has been a debate, a big debate. And we've done it in smaller places, but it's not like you don't come to our homepage on our, on our website, for example, and we really tell that story. Mm-hmm. Our plan is to lean into it more. I think the tension has been that, you know, there's a trade-off around leaning into the messenger and that being the future. Yep. but not making people feel that we don't have email capabilities. I, I think we've been, as a result, way too cautious in the past. I think that there's a way that we can both set email up as the old way of doing things and also communicate that, hey, yeah, of course, you, we, you can do it with us, but that's not what you should be doing with us. You should be doing this other thing. Yeah, fascinating. I, yeah. I feel I, I wish I were in the room when you're having those conversations. They're fascinating conversations. The problem with those conversations and the problem with market, I, I had a marketer join once and, he, and we were having this type of conversation. And we were just trying to come up with an answer. And I was like, isn't there some science behind this or some data? And he looked at me, he said, Welcome to marketing two drink minimum. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, Brian, I'm absolutely happy to invite you to my next leadership team meeting, and uh, we can we can have a couple of drinks and uh, and and get everyone debating it. But uh, I'll probably spare you that. It's it's a gut feel a little bit. Um, you can do some surveying, but uh, yeah, it's a bit of a gut feel, and it's about boy. Once you decide, getting everyone aligned behind it. Yeah. That, that, that's exactly it. So your last question really here, I wanted to open up just to, you know, broader thinking as you think about the future and you know, what are the other trends that you, you see emerging that you think HubSpot will lean into or, you know, marketers should consider? That idea of the, of the like food chain, I think offices are going to go through that. Like on one end of the spectrum, you've got, you know, everyone's in the office all the time. The next step down that spectrum is, yeah, you got mostly you're in the office with a little bit, maybe work from home once a day. Another end, all the way, the other end of the spectrum is you're all the way remote. I think a big trend that's going to happen is obviously people are at home now, but I don't think we're going all the way back to the way we were in 2019. I think most companies are going to be flexed. Like, yeah, you want to come in the office every day? Great. You want to be fully remote? Great. If you want to be in between, that's fine as well. And the reality of that that I think super interesting is on culture and on that supply and demand and that relationship between an employer and an employee and a prospective employee. I kind of think at a very long, if I step way back, I think of HubSpot's having two products. We have a product we sell to our customers and hopefully delight them. We have a product we sell to our employees and hopefully delight them product we sell to our employees is called our culture. Now, because the competition for our culture has traditionally been companies based around us in Boston, or a little bit in Dublin, a little bit in San Francisco, but the vast majority of our employees in Boston, there's a handful of tech companies we compete with in Boston. That's going to change entirely over the next couple of years as we start competing with companies in Silicon Valley who are all going to start hiring remotely, and we're going to start hiring remotely. The opportunities for smart employees, no matter where they are, are going to open up. 
And I think turnover is going to go up. I think salaries are going to go up. I think it's going to be very good for employees in the tech industries. Now, what I think needs to happen is companies need to evolve their go-to-markets, of course, to match the way modern humans are, are behaving, but really evolve their cultures to really match the way people you know, want to work. And I think the way people want to work is changing. So I, I think that's going to be a huge, huge trend. I think supply and demand is going to get way out of whack in the tech industry. And I think people have kids or set. So. The other side of that coin is I think employees today, unlike, for example, when I joined the workforce, maybe you joined the workforce, most people, whether they're just joining the workforce now or they've been in the workforce for a long time, like you or I, we have personal brands, you know, maybe it's LinkedIn only, but maybe it's LinkedIn and it's Instagram and it's TikTok. And you've been spending time curating your own brand over the last, you know, or 10 years. When people join your company, they want that to be a positive thing for their brand, an extension of their brand. And I think the social stuff that's going on in society has heightened that today. And so if your company and your brand don't foot with the way employees are thinking about it, perspectives employees are thinking about, it, you're going to struggle. So I think companies need to take more stands, whether they like it or not, and they need to pay attention to their branding a lot more if they want to grow their employee base, if they want to be a great employer and build a big company. So I, ironically, I think huge changes on the way people are buying products, but huge changes on the way employees are deciding where to join. I think it's a very, I think when we look back, I think it'll be a very interesting time. I, I love that idea of um, you having two products. As a marketer, I've always obviously considered the fact that you have an employer brand as well as your sort of cu customer facing brand. But this idea that you also have these two products is, uh, is really fascinating to me. And, you know, as a famously engaged company like, like uh, HubSpot, uh, I can see how that's, that's kind of uh, worked in your favor. So I think that that's an amazing one for people to, to consider. And, you know, the, the, this general idea of the knock-on impacts of work from home, but also the societal issues, I think is really interesting as well. In fact, we were, you know, before you joined, we'd been talking about the impact of working from home, even on like the mouse I choose. Right now I have a, an Apple mouse that just clicks. And when you're on a lot of video calls or doing things like that, that's a that's an issue. Whereas in the past it wasn't at all. And like that's a very minute example. But you know, I think there are there's a risk that some companies are sitting there thinking, oh, you know, I, I make mice. This this won't won't impact my business. When in reality, there's such an upheaval in the way that people communicate, the way they think about the world, the way that they operate in the world is going to have a knock-on impact on, on pretty much everything. So really, really interesting to hear, hear your thoughts on that one. Thanks. Yep. So, well, well, thanks for this, Brian. I suppose lastly, um, where can our listeners go to keep up with you and your work? I think a good place is ye old Twitter. I'm at B Halligan on Twitter. If folks want to see, if folks like what I had to say, follow me on Twitter. I'd be, be honored to engage with you. Great stuff. Well, thank you very much, Brian, for all of your, your time. This has been really insightful for me. I'm going to go back to my team and tell them that we need to kill email. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I really massively appreciate your time and hopefully talk soon. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed Shane's conversation with Brian Halligan. If you did, we'd love you to give us a review. It helps like-minded people like you find their way to our content. We'll be back next week with another episode of Inside Intercom. We hope you'll join us. This 
is Inside Intercom.